Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Well, last week we started a new series here at the Met called Financial Freedom Jesus Way. And if you were with us, you might remember we started off by talking about, well, freedom from depreciation. We looked at what Jesus had to say about how to keep your assets from depreciating, how to have, how to have investments that last forever. Well, today our subject is freedom from worry. Today we want to hear what Jesus has to say about how do you find freedom from worry in financial matters. And judging by what I read in the papers and hear on the news, this ought to be a subject of some interest, at least to some of us. I mean, there is plenty of worry going around our society right now. Plenty of financial worries. In fact, if worry were a commodity that was traded on the TSX or on Wall Street, and if I were a broker, I'd be telling you to buy all the shares of worry you can because the worry stock is soaring right now. People are worried about unemployment. They're worried about hyperinflation. They're worried about pensions that are kind of drying up. Students are worried about tuition costs that are rising. Homeowners are worried about housing values that are shrinking. I mean, there's just a lot of worry going on. Now, I know when it comes to worry, Some people are more prone to worry than others. Like if you could think of this as a continuum, over here on one side, we'd have people who just naturally are worriers. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of you go, yep, that's me. I am like a professional worrier. I am am like a, you know, world-class worrier. Even in good times, I'll find something to worry about. And when things are financially difficult, well, I'm at the top of my game. I'm worrying, you know, just like it's nobody's business. Okay, so some of you are there. But on the other side, I know that some people, by temperament, the way God's made them, tend to not be worriers. Tend to just kind of take things in stride. They walk around singing Bobby McFerrin's song, Don't Worry, What? Be Happy. You heard that song? Well, that's what they just walk around singing that. Oh, there it is. Be happy. Do you remember this? In every life we have some trouble But when you worry you make it double Don't worry Be happy All right, some of you are just thinking that's the way I am, right? Why worry? I just kind of be happy The reality is that most people are more on this side of the scale, right? Most people don't walk around singing don't worry, be happy Most people walk around singing I'm worried and I'm not happy and to be, to be very candid, when financial stress hits us, it does often create anxiety. It creates stress in our marriages, in our families, in our bodies. And I think Jesus knew that we as people would struggle with worry. And so he addressed the topic straight up, straight on, in some of his words. And today we want to listen to what Jesus had to say about freedom from worry. Does that sound all right to you? Well, why don't you grab a Bible and join me in Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, and let's hear what Jesus has to say about freedom from worry. Matthew chapter 6, today we'll be in verses 25 to 34. In our blue Bibles that we have here at the Met, it's page 685, 685. 
Today we want to talk about how in the world do you find freedom from worry in this world? In a world where finances are a matter of concern for most people, what do you do with that? Jesus is going to have some words that we need to hear. Let me pray for us and then together we'll look at what Jesus had to say. Father, I thank you that this morning we can turn our hearts to you and we can once again say, Lord, you know us, we can't hide from you. You know the times when anxiety creeps into our hearts and in this matter of finances, when we do feel, Lord, anxious, worried, afraid. And so I'm asking that you will speak clearly and speak peace into our lives today as we hear your words. And if that happens, we'll give you all the praise and the glory, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me read for you verses 25 through verse 34. And I want you to notice how many times the word worry shows up, okay? You, you kind of watch for it. You know, it's a bunch, so you watch for it. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field, how they grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me give you the context for the words that Jesus speaks there. As you know, this is part of a larger sermon he gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was speaking to people who lived in an agrarian society. In other words, most people there survived by farming the land or fishing the sea. So that meant they kind of lived from crop to crop or from catch to catch. They didn't have government assistance programs. They didn't have... They didn't have retirement plans. They didn't have pensions. They didn't have life insurance. So when they were thinking about the future and they got worried, they weren't just worrying about their golden years. They were worrying about like the next week, the next month, the next years. So it's in that context, Jesus speaking to people who knew what it's like to live kind of from day to day. Jesus talks to them and says, don't worry. In fact, did you notice how often the, the word worry showed up? Six times. It starts in verse 25. He says, so do not worry. And then he bookends it in verse 34. He says, so do not worry. So he starts and he ends by saying, do not worry. Now, in this passage, in these texts, Jesus tells us how to do that. He explains what it means to be free from worry and what it takes to be free from worry. We're going to look at that this morning what it means to be free from worry. But here's the thing where I want to start. Jesus also clarifies what it doesn't mean. When he's talking about freedom from worry, he begins really by telling us 
what it does not mean to be free from worry. So let me give you a couple things it doesn't mean to be free from worry, what that's not about, and then we'll see what it actually does mean to be free from worry. Here's the first thing that uh, in these verses we learn about what freedom from worry does not mean. First of all, it does not mean freedom from worry doesn't mean freedom from hard times. Jesus is not promising here when he says do not worry. He's not promising you will never face hard times. Freedom from worry does not mean freedom from hard times. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Jesus is talking to people who are asking this question. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Now, if you're asking that question, you must be in some lean times, right? If you're saying, I don't know what we're going to eat. I don't know what I'm going to drink. I don't know what I'm going to wear. Jesus is assuming that people are facing some difficult times. And then he makes it explicit, the last verse, verse 34. Did you notice the last line there? He says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is a realist, and he says, look, yeah, you know, every day is going to have some of its own trouble. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have what? You will have trouble. So when Jesus says, do not worry, he's not promising that you'll have no hard times. He's actually saying that freedom can, from worry can happen even in the midst of hard times, all right? So first thing, freedom from worry doesn't mean freedom from hard times. Here's the second thing it doesn't mean. Freedom from worry does not mean freedom from hard work. When Jesus says, I want you to enjoy freedom from worry, he's not saying, and by the way, you don't have to work hard. You can just sit back and it'll all happen for you. No, freedom from worry is not freedom from hard work. How do you know that? Well, I know that because of how he puts it. Look at verse 26. Jesus talks the birds of the air about the birds of the air, and he says, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. But that implies that he knows that humans do sow and reap and store up in barns. In other words, he's saying, you humans, you're the ones doing the hard work. You're planting your fields, you're harvesting your fields, you're storing up your grain. He's implying that we're working hard. And then when he gets down to verse 28, he talks about the lilies of the field. He says, they do not labor or spin. And he's implying like, like you all do. See, humans, you're the ones out there laboring and spinning. You're taking the, the crops and turning them into fabric and turning the fabric into clothes. You're working hard. So Jesus doesn't say that freedom from worry means you won't have to work hard. It's not freedom from hard work. In fact, it's kind of a, a, a nice little uh, observation we can make in verse 26 when Jesus talks about how the Father in heaven feeds the birds of the air. Did you see that? Look at verse 26 halfway. He says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, the birds. But think about it. How does God the Father feed the birds? Does he just drop worms into their mouths from heaven? No, he doesn't. Have you ever seen robins in the spring? They're bobbing around, flying around. Those things are busy. So he feeds the birds, but the birds are still out gathering the feed, right? So when Jesus says, do not worry, you can have freedom from worry. He is not saying to us, you'll be free from hard work. He's just saying, as you're working hard, you don't have to worry. So freedom from worry is not freedom from hard times, and it's not freedom from hard work. So what is it? Well, that's what I think Jesus wants to highlight. You see, when Jesus is talking about freedom from worry, this is what I believe he means. And this is so important. Catch this. Freedom from worry means freedom from a hard view of God. Freedom from worry involves 
freedom from a hard or harsh view of God. See, often financial worries reveal something about us, the worrier. You know what it reveals? It may reveal that we have a hard view of God, that we have a harsh view of God, that we have a faulty view of God when we're worried, that something is off in our theology. Oh, not our formal theology, but our functional theology. See, when we're worrying, we we probably don't necessarily have a problem in our formal theology. Our formal theology is what we say we believe. Our functional theology are the truths that we live by. It's what deep in our hearts we really kind of bank on. And when we worry, it shows that deep down, deep down, something is wrong in our functional theology, in how we view God. We may have a harsh or hard view of God. And let me unpackage that a bit, because in our verses, I think Jesus highlights three hard views of God. And if you're worrying about financial matters, it could be, it could be that one of these three views has creeped inside of your head and inside of your heart. So let me show you them, and you kind of check yourself. See if possibly any of these hard views of God could actually be your view of God. What does a worry reveal about us? Well, here's one hard view of God that it may reveal. It may reveal that deep down we believe that God is not there, right? If we're worried, it could mean that deep in our hearts, we believe that God is not there, that he's just not there. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking about how God is there, that he's engaged in his world, why he's feeding the birds of the air. He is clothing the flowers in the field. He's actively engaged. But when we worry, it's like we believe that maybe he's not really there. Oh, I'm not saying that we would deny his existence. No, in our formal theology, we would still say, no, no, of course I believe God is there. Ah, But in our functional theology, it's like we're saying, but maybe he's not there for me, right? Like, I know he's there, but maybe he's not really there for me. Maybe it's really all up to me. And when I'm worrying about finances, Maybe I'm thinking, you know what? This is all up to me. If I'm going to make it through in this life, it's going to be up to me. Sometimes people that work extra hours and work hard, they're not just working hard because they know that's their calling. They're working hard because they are scared. And sometimes, get this, even those of us who are savers and we're saving up money and we tell people, well, we're just prudent because we're saving. Sometimes we save because we're scared. And we're essentially saying, if I don't do this, well, I don't know if God's going to come through. Maybe he's not really there for me. That's a hard view of God. That's one of them. Let me give you a second hard view of God that worry could reveal. Worry could also reveal that maybe deep down I believe this. God is not aware. God is not aware. Well, he may be there, but maybe he's not aware. He doesn't really know what's going on in my situation. Now, again, again, In our formal theology, we would say that God is aware, right? We would say that God is omniscient, that he knows all things. We would believe that. But in our functional theology, when we're worrying about finances, we may be believing that he's not really clued into my situation. I mean, after all, God has the whole universe to look after, right? And he's got 6.7 billion people. And maybe somehow my file got misplaced. Maybe he's not really up to date on my current situation. Maybe he's not aware. See, I think Jesus hints at this hard view of God in verse 32. He tries to correct it. Look at verse 32. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. For They run after food and clothing, shelter, and all those things. 
And then Jesus adds this, verse 32. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Hey, he knows. He's aware that you need them. He, he knows that things are tight right now. Jesus is saying, your heavenly Father is so aware of your needs, he knows that. But sometimes when things get difficult, God's people are prone to think, but maybe he somehow missed it. The Israelites were this way. They constantly struggled with thinking, well, maybe, you know, things are going bad. Maybe God's not aware of us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, gives an indictment to the Jews who were being put into exile. And God speaks to those Jews. And listen to what he says, Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you complain, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God? See, God calls him on him. He says, why are you saying that your way is hidden from me? Don't you think I'm aware? But when I'm worried about finances, maybe deep down in my soul, I'm not so sure that he is aware. I've got a hard view of God, that he's not really that clued into what's going on with me. So worry could reveal that I don't really believe God is there, at least not there for me, and that he's not aware, at least not aware of me. But there's a third hard view of God, and this one I think maybe is the most common and maybe the most damaging. Because Jesus goes at this third view, the strongest. A third hard view of God that worry can reveal is this. I might believe this, that God doesn't care, that he does not care. Well, he may be there, and he even may be aware, but deep down, I'm not sure that he cares. At least I'm not sure he cares about me. See, worry can reveal that fundamentally, I doubt the goodness of God. Oh, not on a formal, not in a formal way, right? My formal theology would just say, no, no, God is good. But in a functional way, I'm saying, I'm not sure God will be good for me. I'm not sure he'll be good to me. Maybe he's good to a whole lot of other people. I hear their stories, and I'm happy for them but I'm not so sure that he will be good to me. I'm just not sure about that. Now, there's a variety of reasons why people can struggle in this area. There's a variety of reasons why people doubt the goodness of God. Maybe for some of you, you were raised in a home where you never really felt cared about. I mean, I'm not here to bash on anyone's background, but you would just say, I didn't grow up really feeling nurtured or cared about. And sometimes you transpose that on God and say, I, I bet God's kind of like that. I bet he doesn't really care about me anyway. Or maybe you've had some significant people in your life who've disappointed you, who've walked away from you, who've made promises to you, and then they didn't keep them. And you've become a bit cynical, and you transpose that to God and say, I'm not so sure that God's going to be good. I'd like to believe that in my formal theology. I say that, but in my heart of hearts, I don't know if I buy that. Listen, Jesus goes really strongly at that. He tries to correct that. Let me show you how he does it. Jesus wants you to know that God does care. But that's a harsh view of God to say that he's not good to you. Here's how he does it. He starts in verse 26 and he says, hey, I want you to think about how good the God the Father is to the birds. Did you see that verse 26? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, hey, let me tell you about God the Father's heart. He loves the birds. I mean, how many birds are there? And he's out there feeding the birds. He's making sure that they get food. And then he adds at the end of verse 26, are you not much more valuable than they? He cares for the birds, doesn't he? And you matter more than the birds. 
And then he comes to verse 28 and he says, and look how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendors was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, wilts, will he not much more clothe you? See what he's saying again? He's saying, look at how God treats the wildflowers. Man, those things are beautiful, and he scatters them everywhere, and he gives them rain so that they can flourish. Ah, yeah, they're brief, but they're beautiful. God cares about the flowers that he made. And if he cares about the flowers, then wouldn't he care about you? In fact, Jesus makes that explicit in verse 33. He says, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be, will be given to you as well. He says, your father promises to take care of your needs. All these things that you need, food to eat and something to drink and clothes to wear, all this will be added to you. That's the father's heart. Don't, don't doubt the good heart of your God. His heart is magnanimous, like he's lavish. He's wasteful with his wildflowers. He puts them everywhere. He's gracious with his birds. And he's especially good to his children. In fact, look at what he says in chapter 7 and verse 11. Still in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, If you then, speaking to dads, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is trying to say, don't doubt the goodness of your Father's heart. And man, maybe you didn't get this in your home, but you need to know you have a father in heaven and he's lavish. He takes care of the birds and you're more valuable than birds. And, and he's good with his flowers. And wow, you matter much more than flowers. In fact, he promises to meet your needs because he's a father who loves to give gifts to his children. In fact, I love 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Like, you do not have a miserly father in heaven. He richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And Jesus is talking to people who are worried and who may doubt the goodness of God and says, wait, 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 wait. Don't doubt his goodness. Don't have a hard view of God. Don't doubt that he's there. No, he is there. And don't doubt that he's aware. No, he knows. Your heavenly father knows your needs. And don't you doubt that he cares. Man, look at his world. Look at his heart. Listen to his promises. See, a hard view of God doubts that he's there or that he's aware or that he cares. And by the way, that's why when you come right down to, down to it, financial worries are really, at bottom, a spiritual issue. Okay, can we be clear on that one? We think it's just an economic part of our life, but no, no, Jesus is saying financial worries are at heart a spiritual issue. That means that whenever financial worries are large, faith is small. That's why it's a spiritual issue. Whenever financial worries grow large, it means faith is growing small. That's why Jesus says in verse 30, look what he says in verse 30, how he ends it. He says, oh, you of little faith. See, he's going for faith, right? He's saying this is at root a faith issue. This is about your view of your heavenly father. Oh, you of little faith. So freedom from worry, you know what it means? It means freedom from a harsh view of God. It means knowing that he's there and that he's aware and that he cares. 
And maybe you hear all this and you say, that's what I want. I would like to have that. I would like to have that. I would like to have that view of God. I would like to have my faith deeper. I'd like my faith to develop. But how do you do that? How do you grow your faith so that you can lose your worries? How do you do that? Well, I think Jesus tells us in these verses, and that's how I want to wrap it up. I want to show you three things that Jesus says on you and I can do these things, he says, to, to, to get free from worries, to let our faith grow up and grow strong. Let me show you three things Jesus says to do when it comes to losing your financial worries, to getting past those, to not letting those grip your heart and grind you down. What do you do? Here's the first thing that Jesus says. How do you lose financial worries? Here's the first. Focus your attention on God's faithful provision. Intentionally focus your attention Like, make it a point to think about this. Focus your attention on God's faithful provision. The idea of focusing your attention comes out in two commands. Look at verse 26. Here's the first command. Jesus says, look, look at the birds of the air. That's a command, right? Jesus told you to look at the birds. By the way, some of you who like bird watching, you're like, you can say my hobby was commanded by Jesus, right? The rest of you are dinking around with things that you've made up but my hobby was one Jesus said to do. Because he did say, look at the birds of the air. Focus your attention on the birds. Now, why did he say that? Well, you see, he goes on to say, because your heavenly father feeds them. He says, I want you to notice the birds, and I want you to see how well cared for they are. I don't know about you, we got these robins bouncing around in our front yard all the time, and I've never yet seen an emaciated one. Man, they are fat and happy. They're singing in the trees, and they're digging in the ground. They're plump, and Jesus said, did you notice that? Did you, did you look at how that robin was? It would do you well to stop your day. When you're starting your worry, stop it. Look at the birds. So he says, look at that. That's the first command. The second command is in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field. See how they grow. Some translations say, consider the lilies. That's another command. Look at the wildflowers. You've heard the old adage, stop and smell the roses. Well, that's not in the Bible, but stop and look at the wildflowers is. Like Jesus is saying, when you go through your day, don't just rush by the fact that he has sprinkled the landscape with these beautiful little wildflowers. Nobody planted them. Nobody waters them, but God takes care of them. And by the way, they're here just for a brief time. And Jesus says, look, if you want to deal with your worry, here's one thing you can do. Focus your attention on God's faithful provision. Look at his creation and stop and think, what does this tell me about God? That the birds are fed, that the flowers grow. What does this tell me? It says that year after year, the birds keep getting fed. And year after year, the flowers keep getting watered. Well, I guess he's pretty faithful in taking care of his creation. And then you make the next step. And you say, let me consider my own life. And you consider the faithful provision of God in your own life. I mean, think about how he's provided for you over the last year, over the last 10 years of your life. Do you remember back in 95 when you lost your job and you thought, how am I going to get through this? Well, you did, right? He's taken you through that. Remember three years ago when the transmission died in your car and and your car wasn't worth fixing and you thought, Lord, I don't even know what I'm going to do about wheels. And he got you through that, didn't he? Or or that time when you looked at the next semester's tuition and you thought to yourself, there's no way I'm going to be able to get through next semester even. 
we were just down from my oldest son's graduation from Moody Bible Institute, and I sat there, and I remembered the day that we got his acceptance. And I was so excited for him. And at the same time, I was so worried for us. And some of you who have kids in university, you know what I'm saying. I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? It's like we're barely getting by month on month now, and now we're going to add this. And I can just tell you, last couple of weeks ago when we sat there, my mind was going back. And I thought, well, four years. And he's graduating with hardly a penny to his name, but like no debt. And I think only God could do that. Because each, each semester we thought, well, I wonder how we're going to do next semester. And he worked hard, and we gave some. And somehow God brought him through, and I need to remember that. Next time I started thinking, well, I don't know how I'm going to get through this one. So Jesus said, look, are you worried? Well, stop worrying and start paying attention. Pay attention to God's faithful provision. Look at it in creation. Look at it in your life. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing he says to do. You want to stop letting worry run your life? You want to find freedom from worry? Here's the second thing. Pray regularly about your needs. Pray regularly about your needs. And you say, wait a sec, there was nothing in that passage about prayer. I read that thing through. He doesn't talk about prayer there. Where do you get that one? Well, he doesn't in these verses, but he does right before, and it links to these verses. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9 begins what we know as the Lord's Prayer, right? You know that. Let's say the first part with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, next line. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Jesus has just told them, I want you to be praying about your daily bread. Now, remember, these are people who he goes on to say in our verses, who are saying to themselves, what are we going to eat Jesus has just told them, you're supposed to be praying, give us this day our daily bread. And let me ask you, how often do you think Jesus would want us to pray about daily bread? What would you t- take a wild shot at it? What would you say? <laughs> like at least daily, right? The minimum would be daily. Actually, you, uh, you can go way more than daily because you can pray about daily bread whenever you are anxious about daily bread. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything But pray about everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your heart. The the worry starts reciting. You start praying for daily bread. Now, let me show you how that links into our passage. Go with me back to our passage and look at verse 32. Verse 32. Verse 31, people are saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? And then Jesus says in verse 32, for the pagans, those who don't know God, run after all these things. They're frenetic. They're worried. They're panic. But look what he says next. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your father knows that you need daily bread and something to drink and something to wear. Now, let me ask you, how does your father know that you need something to eat? Well, you say, well, he knows everything. And I'd say, yeah, that's true. But here's how else he knows. Because you've told him. You've been praying about it, right? He knows you have need of these things because you've been saying every day, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, today daily bread for me looks like enough money to pay the utility bills. Lord, today daily bread looks enough to me to have this kind of car repair done that I wasn't counting on. 
Lord, today, daily bread looks to me like, and you fill it in. But the Father knows you have need of these things because you've been talking to him about them. By the way, one of the reasons God doesn't allow you to have a surplus that leaves you free from any hard times is because if he did, most of us would never talk to him. Right? We would just kind of go, hey, life is good. Do you need to pray? Well, not now because life is good. And when life is hard, then we are much more likely to recognize how frail and how fragile we are and how dependent we are. We see reality and we're much more likely to talk to our Father in heaven. And he's all about having a relationship with us. He's not just the heavenly vending machine. He's your Father in heaven. So he says to you, look, I'm not freeing you up from hard times or hard work, but I am giving you the option to come talk to me whenever you need to. Like whenever this is on your heart, whenever you're worried, well, let's talk about that. You just pour it out to me. I know you need it already, but I love to hear you say it. So what do you do if you want to get free from worry? Well, you focus your attention on God's faithful provision and you pray regularly about your needs. But here's the third thing, and this is probably the hardest of them all. This one will take faith. The third thing Jesus says is this. Make God's priorities your first priority. Like in the middle of the hard times, make God's priorities your first priority. I get that out of verse 33 because right in the middle of this, Jesus says, your father knows you have need of these things, verse 32. And then he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All what things? Well, your food and your drink and your clothing and your shelter. But he says, but I want you to seek first the kingdom. Not seek only the kingdom. I know you have to go to work. But I want you to have as your top priority, my priorities. And some of us say, well, Lord, I can't do that. Man, I am trying to make ends meet. I am trying to make a living. And someday when I get more financially secure, then I'll have some time and some space to seek your priorities. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not going to work that way. We're going to reverse that. I want you to live by faith. And the way you live by faith is this. You put my priorities first, and then I'll take care of your needs. I love the paraphrase of Matthew 6.33 that someone did. They said this. Here's how they paraphrased it. Take care of the things that matter to God, and he'll take care of the things that matter to you. Like you put first his kingdom, what matters to him. And he's, he says, well, then as you do that, by faith, I'm going to come along and I'm going to take care of the things that matter to you. You say, well, how do I seek first his kingdom? What does that look like? Let me give you three words about seeking God's kingdom. These are the three words that help me when I think about what does that look like to seek first God's kingdom. My three words are enter, express, and extend. If you want to seek first his kingdom, the first thing you have to do is enter the kingdom. Enter it. Like you can't, sink the, you can't seek the kingdom if you're not in the kingdom. And the way you get in the kingdom is to let Jesus be your king, right? You come before him and you bow your heart before Jesus as your king. That involves repentance and faith. You repent of being your own little ruler. Most people try to run their own lives. And you submit to him and you receive him as king, as Lord, the one who sacrificed his life for you. You become a follower of Christ through faith in him. And if you've never done that, that's where you need to start. You enter the kingdom through repentance and faith. By the way, you can do that today. Like if you're here and you're hearing this and you're going, I'm not sure I'm in, then why not just offer up a prayer that says, Lord, I want in. 
I come to you, Jesus, and I ask you to be my king. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I want you to run my life. Please give me yours. When you ask him that, you enter the kingdom. So that's the first thing. And then the second word is express. Express the kingdom. Once you're in it, then you say, Lord, help me to grow. Help me to live out kingdom values. Help me to live by the things that Jesus said. Grow me up in my faith. I'm going to make it a priority to be spiritually growing. See, some people let the spiritual side of growing get crowded out by the financial worries, and they spend all their time working or worrying. And Jesus says, no, 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 put my kingdom first. Make time with me, grow in me, learn to walk with me. So you enter it, you express it, and then the last thing is you extend the kingdom. Jesus calls you once you're in and as you're growing up to bring the kingdom to others, to look for people who need to hear the gospel message of Christ, to bring it to them or to take out your wallet and by faith give money to extend his kingdom to missionaries or, or through a church to say, Lord, I'm giving to you first because I'm putting your kingdom first. And I just tell you that Jesus promises when you do that, when you put his priorities first, he'll take care of your needs. So would you like to be more worry-free when it comes to finances? Man, I would. Well, then why not say, well, Lord, help me. I'm going to focus on your faithful provision, and I am going to pray regularly about my needs. And as you help me, I'm putting first your kingdom priorities. A while back, about a month or so ago, I got an email from a guy that used to be at our church. Some of you will remember the name Larry Armstrong. Remember Larry? He sang in our choir. For the last five years, Larry has been out at Briarcrest, which is a Bible college, training to go into ministry. I got an email from Larry has graduated. In fact, this weekend, as we're here, I believe he's up in, uh, I think it's in Moose Factory, candidating at a church. It's an exciting thing for Larry. But Larry bought, when he went back there, he bought a trailer. And uh, he, you know, it's kind of barely, he can buy. And now he's coming to graduation and he was worried, he said, about his trailer. And I want to just read you a paragraph of what happened about his trailer. He said, one of my worries was my trailer, selling the trailer. So he had some friends over for dinner a couple Friday nights ago. And these friends had a daughter who was going to get married and move to the area. And as they asked Larry about what his plans were, he says, well, I'm hoping to leave here and I got to sell my trailer. Well, the dad says, well, my daughter's going to need a place to stay. And her new husband, are you you up for selling it? Well, Larry said that he was hoping to sell his trailer. He thought he could ask $25,000. Because he said, if I got $25,000 for my trailer, that plus five years worth of income tax returns would make a zero balance. And he'd come out of there without being in the hole. So he was hoping to sell it. And he thought, I'll sell the whole kit and caboodle. You'll get all the furniture. And uh, he wanted to even sell the mountain of stuff in the shed, coffee maker, mugs, lawnmower, everything. He said, I'd even include my cats. So that was his plan. Well, his friend, not knowing any of that, said, well, I'd like to offer you $35,000 for your trailer. And Larry wrote this. He said, $35,000. The secret part is that I had, or the interesting part is I had secretly had the price of $35,000 in my mind, not expecting that I would ever get that. So he goes on as he he starts reflecting on the fact that this guy is now, he said, let me check with my daughter and we'll talk. So $35,000 for your trailer. Larry writes this. He says, I know it's a bit weak, to make all of this God's provision and doing when it has yet to happen. The guy hadn't closed the deal yet when he wrote me this. But I can't help but feel that as I let go of making things happen on my own and casting all these cares on God, who says, do not worry, little sheep, 
And when I think of the fact that Eric and Sharon have a small herd of sheep on their hobby farm, it just fits together so neatly and nicely with my notion that God not only provides for all of our needs, but does so with many significant signs that can easily be recognized as his exclusive work. Cool, huh? Not only does this significantly reduce the amount of effort I need to get the place ready for viewing, but I haven't even put out the for sale my owner sign yet. And then he ends by saying this, I'm so excited about all of this, I want to go out and find some water to walk on. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying? He said, man, I had this worry about this trailer. But I have a heavenly father who in this case, before he could stick the for sale by owner sign came up and who didn't just give him the 25,000 that he was hoping to scrape by with, but actually offered what in his heart he was thinking, wow, if I could ever get 35, but how could I ever get 35? And Larry is learning that he is a God in heaven who knows about his needs on earth. I'll bet you some of you have those stories. But maybe you've forgotten them. Or maybe you've pushed them to the back. Or maybe the worries of this day have crowded them out. Jesus is saying, don't let that happen. You don't have to live under the weight of worry. Because you have a father who is that good. You put his kingdom first. You talk to him about your needs. He'll take care of you. Let's pray. Why don't you just take a moment and talk to the Lord about what's been going on in your heart. Some of you might need to repent of saying, Lord, I'm the little faith guy or the little faith girl right here, and I'm so sorry. Some of you just need to say, Lord, this is my worry. I'm bringing it to you. It's my daily bread thing. I really need help with this. Some of you need to say, Lord, help me to notice. Help me to notice the birds and the flowers and your provision. Whatever it is, why don't you talk to him for just a moment, and then I'll close this. Father in heaven, thank you that you are so patient with us who are often the little faiths. Well, you think some of us would have figured this thing out by now. I, for one, have literally no excuse uh, to ever doubt your goodness. And yet sometimes, Lord, I shamefully say I do. But I'm really thankful for Jesus who spoke to our propensity to worry, and reminded us of your magnanimous heart. Help us, Lord, just to do it your way, to put first your kingdom, believing that all these things will be added to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.